0: Welcome to Streamed and Screened, the podcast from Lee Enterprises, all about movies and TV shows. Uh, hosted by Bruce Miller, longtime entertainment reporter, currently the editor for the Sioux City Journal. Uh, also hosted by Jared McNett, a reporter for the Sioux City Journal, and me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee Enterprises. Uh, we are uh, we come out every every week talking about new releases. On the big screen and the small screen, Bruce, last week, you talked about good luck or, uh, yeah, good luck, Leo Grand.
1: It wasn't good luck to you, Leo Grand.
0: Good luck to you, Leo grand. yeah, um and 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 I promised to see it, and, and that is a promise that I kept. And yeah. I really, really enjoyed it.
1: It was a great discussion, wasn't it? And it really made you feel about, you know, her kind of bottled up life. But did you think you needed that nude scene of her? It needed
0: some kind of a button on the end. And I feel like that was like that, that put it over the finish line, but I don't know if that is the the only way that they could have done it. But um, for anybody, this is the, uh, yeah, good luck to you, Leo Grand was the, uh, the movie. It's on Hulu, uh, stars Emma Thompson as a uh, rep- repressed widow, who is uh, kind of stretching her legs and uh, discovering herself late in life with the help of a, a, a sex worker who is helping her to kind of embrace certain aspects of her life that she she's never really, uh, really gotten a hold of. The way that everything kind of unfolds and uh, the character development is, there's a lot more going on than I think the, the shock value that everyone talks about with this film. Uh, with the, the final scene involving Emma Thompson full frontal. And I mean, I don't know, it, it, it was charming in its way that, that fit with the, the rest of the film. I really enjoyed it. I think it was just a great little three act two-hander. And I'm almost intrigued just because it's, it, it's a strange movie to see on like the banner of Hulu. Like when you're just kind of logging into Hulu to watch, I don't know, Letterkenny or whatever, uh, you know, and and it's here's this Emma Thompson movie and it's great, but it's, it's just a weird it's, it's a strange movie from a marketing standpoint, I think, to, to have branded in that way. But I very much enjoyed it. Yeah,
2: uh, Chris, everyone on uh, Hulu knows and loves the, uh, the actress from Howard's End. That's that's a movie that's constantly at the front of every Hulu subscribers mind. Big Merchant Ivory uh, stands out there on, yes. on the Hulu. <laughs> the Hulu heads know about remains of the day. But the the big
0: movie, which is certainly going to beat, you know, won't be on, on any streaming service anytime soon, is Elvis, which I know, Bruce, we have uh, included some interviews that you've done in the past with a screenwriter for Elvis or one of the co-screenwriters of Elvis. And. Tell us about this. Did you actually get a chance to see the film before it came out?
1: Not yet. No. And I'm excited because it's got my buddy uh, Tom Hanks in there. And I think that's a real stretch for him, that he's playing Colonel Parker. I mm, will see. I don't think that Austin Butler looks that much like Elvis, as much as people try to say, but maybe he can provide the essence. I think there are other people who've looked closer to him in the past. But, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see how it it plays out. You know, um, it's interesting. I once interviewed Priscilla Presley. It was like for one of those, was it Naked Gun movies that she was in?
0: Uh, I think so. Yeah, 33 and a third maybe.
1: And before I began the interview, um, the publicist said, now you cannot ask about Elvis. It's not possible. Otherwise, she's going to walk. And I thought, well... What else do you ask her about? You know, is this, you know, what do I say?
2: You ask her about uh, the adventures of Ford Fairlane.
1: Yeah, well, this vast film career that she's had. I, I i won't even need to get to Elvis because I'm trying to get through the, the filmography of her. But what happened was, is I I said, you know, do you ever look back in your past and say, what was I thinking? I said, you know, like when you had that big hair and all that makeup and all that stuff and she said, well, Elvis wanted me to look like that. The door was open. We started talking Elvis like you couldn't believe, and she told lots of stories about him, and that she was really, you know, uh, so innocent that she didn't know what to do in those situations where she was just told what to do. I think she didn't come into her own until well after they were divorced, and she started realizing her own career and her own her own value, if you will, to the the Presley organization, but um, it, she was very, very, very fun and and interesting, and it was a different kind of a world that they lived in. You know, Elvis was very secluded, unlike other acts of the time, because he was so big, and they didn't know how to deal with that. Now everybody thinks they're that big, and they kind of close in ranks and and keep all these people isolated. But in those days you know, you'd see anybody who was somebody out and you could actually reached them, but Elvis was not that way.
0: And based on the trailers uh, that I've seen so far for this, I mean, it definitely seems like the film directed by Baz Luhrmann uh, is, is going to chart, you know, the the rise and fall of, of Elvis. It's going to be a whole career look. It's going to try to be pretty, pretty. you know, soup to nuts. And that, that, that's biting
1: off a lot. I hope it stops in Sioux City because there was a reviewer at the time. No, not me. I'm not that old.
0: But you did interview some people.
1: I did. Yeah. um, It was interesting because we did look back at when Elvis played the auditorium here. And the reviewer, uh, she was an older woman who reviewed the thing and said that, you know, he was just, the butt is all this hip shaking and this is gyrating. It's terrible. He's not going to last. And that has resonated. We've seen that review like everywhere, because people can't believe that somebody would misjudge it. But you've got to remember back at that time, older people were like, I don't know what to do with this. It's very, it's very difficult for them. Now, I don't know if we could be shocked by anything, truly. But at the time, it was like a scandal. And they didn't want their kids to be caught up in this, because this would be just lead them toward degradation and everything else. And it plays, I mean, come on. Iowa, music man, you know, there's trouble.
0: Starts with a capital T and that rhymes with E and that stands for Elvis.
2: Yeah,
1: so you can see, and I would it would be a great little mention that they thought this was just terrible. But people who I talked to who, who uh, were actually at that concert, they were mesmerized. They thought he was just really good. Now, these are people who were obviously teenagers at the time and now are older people, but they always remember the night Elvis played Sioux City, always. And there are places in the town, if you come here, where there are photographs of him, where he was at a restaurant, where he was at a hotel, people have that kind of memorabilia. And I'm sure there are people too who say, oh yeah, I saw Elvis and they were not there.
0: It's interesting, I mean, the he, he I mean obviously Elvis got around, but towards the end, I know uh, Tom Parker, Colonel Tom Parker played by Tom Hanks in the film, was was working him relentlessly to where it would be, you know, going directly from the the venue after the show into an airplane that would take you to the next place, and you know, you just get you know, whatever sleep you can get, like in between. And um, he actually, towards the very end of his career, he played Madison, Wisconsin twice, uh, and we've got uh, really great coverage. Uh, in the archives that I've found uh, from the first time that he played Madison, where, you know, there were, uh, you know, high school kids, you know, stalking out the, staking out the, the hotel that he was at, the Edgewater. And this is late Elvis. This is, you know, a year, almost a year before he died. Uh, and then the, the second time he came through, which was about a year later, he actually Again, when, you know, he, I think he was coming in from uh, Illinois or I don't know where, like he just, you know, finished a show, plane landed, and on route from the airport to the hotel in Madison, he saw a, a fight breaking out. This would have been, you know, one, two in the morning or so, uh, outside of a service station, and he just, you know, makes the guy stop the limo, and all of a sudden, Elvis jumps out of this limo and starts pulling karate moves. And and everyone, of course, just stops <laughs> what they're doing with this incredible. Look out,
2: man! Right? Yep. Uh,
0: just this, this super surreal uh, scene, and then uh, he Elvis just you know hops back in the uh, in the limo and and rolls on out. I actually I interviewed the um, uh, the reporter Tom Still, uh, who who took that call from the the police station. Uh, who, you know, they were just like, you don't believe what happened. They called the newspaper and Tom still got out there and and, uh, interviewed some folks. But uh, I mean, Elvis, just an American legend in in so many ways.
1: Here's another thing that we don't really remember. People at least try not to remember. Is it in those, in that last year, he was a mess. He really was. And he had gotten overweight. He wasn't able to really get through shows like he used to he wasn't the Elvis they remember so the vision that they have is a good Elvis if you will not bloated Elvis or whatever and I was in Indianapolis in 77 and I was offered the opportunity to
2: interview him
1: and I said really I I don't care to I'll pass and he died not long after that
2: yeah that was his last show that was his last show ever
1: how stupid was I? But you know, at the time that shows you how he had waned if you will, yeah. and the inverse level isn't the way it is today at all, at all. The fact that he played Madison, Wisconsin, which
0: you know, even back in the late seventies was, you know, like we got the you know, Blue Oyster Cult and Frank Zappa and whatever were coming through and the Grateful Dead and whoever else, but to go from never having played Madison, Wisconsin to all of a sudden playing it twice, in less than a year, you're, you're being ridden real hard. Uh, and, you know, and he and just didn't have enough people that were you know really looking out for him at the time.
2: All of that uh, said, like uh, there's a, there's a clip I think of quite a bit and it's actually one of my favorite live clips from him uh, from his last year in 1977, when he was touring around where he was in, uh, I think it was Rapid City, South Dakota, which was close to one of the last shows that he did. And it's a clip of him doing Unchained Melody. Which like obviously doesn't have the same you know like degree of skill set and everything like that as he did you know at his absolute peak, but it's still kind of beautiful to watch him like performing and trying as hard as he absolutely can, and you know doing a, a really beautiful song like some degree of justice, even though he's like a shell of himself at that point. I've always been really intrigued by uh, that particular uh, clip of his from that year. I think the the thing that I'm interested to
0: see about this film is. And we we've talked about this. I know Jared. We're always very quick to throw out the the Walk Hard, uh, (laughs) you know, comparison. And this feels like it could be maybe one of the first post Walk Hard music biopics that is almost aware of what it's doing. And I I don't know how how self aware the film is going to be in that it is clearly. Fighting off just a, a, a massive chunk. It's the history of America in so many ways, the story of Elvis.
2: And a, a lot of those other guys that have made uh, some of those, you know, uh, music biopics that Walk Hard either rift on or have come since then, like, I don't think that Boz Lerman is as interested in coherence as some of those other directors. So I almost doesn't don't think it even matters if it like turns into like walk hard. Uh, But with Elvis in certain parts of the movie, because like you kind of need just a big sprawling mess to to tell a story that big. So I kind of think some of Baz Luhrmann's like faults and foibles might actually work to this movie's advantage. Really leaning into the spectacle and the the bombast and the
0: throwing of the scarvesness of of the whole thing.
1: (laughs) I think, you know, when you see uh, things about Elvis now, there is a certain layer of people that love Elvis. And I don't know what that is necessarily, what what they're tapping into, if it's the rabble, if it's the um, patriotism, if it's, you know, I don't know what exactly it is they like about him. But if you can strip all of that away and go down to the pure Elvis, you'll realize that he's a very, very good singer. He's not going to give some opera singer uh, a run for their money, but you you watch how he phrases things. Try sometime. I want you to try this. A little less conversation. Do you remember that song? See if you can keep up with it. You can't. You can't. It's one of those songs that it's impossible to sing if you're just trying to you know go along with it because the phrasing is such that it's just unbelievable. And that shows that he had natural talent, that he was able to just work through anything. And I really wish that all the glitz and the the crap would disappear, and you could see what the real Elvis is. I don't know that this film will do that. I don't know that it's going to show us a pure Elvis, but I think we are going to see how trapped he was by fame, by people around him, by the the the, the creature that had been created. And I think that's going to be interesting to see because um, too often we think Elvis is invincible, and I think it's it's time to see that maybe he was one who. You know, we need to feel sorry for him more than anything.
2: Why um, why do you guys think, I mean, obviously we have gotten some like in, in various forms. There's like the, you know, made for TV biopic that Carpenter did with Kurt Russell, which I know a lot of people like. And there's even like weird offshoots like Elvis meeting Nixon that movie with uh, Michael Shannon and uh, Spacey. Why, why do you think it's taken so long to have this kind of like Elvis movie be made?
0: First of all, you're leaving out Bubba Hotep.
2: And I just uh, want, to, yes. make, I just want yes. to make
0: sure that that's in the conversation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, no. So, yeah. Why, why do you guys think it, it's taken this long to get this kind of like, you know, treatment of Elvis's, you know, life story in a in a big budget movie?
1: I think they thought of him as a TV kind of character because TV people were doing them. I mean, we had a lot of Elvis miniseries over the years. And I think it was just easier that way. You could get more nights out of it. There was a buy-in of that kind of public. Whereas if you're gonna make a glossy, expensive film, hmm, let's see. And then we've had the recent success of things like uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. So that jumpstarts the interest. So you know, why didn't we have more films after The Doors? There could have been easily an Elvis after that. But I think they kind of wore out their welcome with a lot of TV things.
0: It, I, this is, it, it. like, the Elvis story, and I, I don't have any facts to back this up, but it, it feels like it is one of those things that has probably been kicking around in various forms of development, you know, script treatments, casting. You know, it makes me think of the uh, Confederacy of Dunces, you know, which for a, has been in various stages of development for a very, very long time. And it just... Took the right person, the right place, the right time, you know, with, with the right actor to get it across the finish line or just get it to location.
1: I <laughs> with, think with Baz is in that place where Baz could do whatever he wanted to. And if he chose to do this, it's going to happen. Tim Burton could have done an Elvis. You know, there are certain ones, Quentin Tarantino's Elvis. Why weren't these guys think of and I think they just thought it was a TV story they thought he was you know in a lot of crappy movies none of those movies stood out as anything really and they figured he was kind of a minor character that was more of a middle-class hero than a um, you know an icon he's an icon he's right up there with Marilyn and
2: I gotta stop you for a second you didn't like the Elvis movie Clambake
1: (laughs) Clambake I watched you know what I went to all those as a kid you knew the plot. The plot was the same thing and everything. But at some point, there would be a point where he would stop and sing. And then you'd think, oh, yeah, this is good. This is good. And they were crappy songs, really bad. <laughs> but I do, I did like Viva Las Vegas. I thought that was yeah, a good one. That's like the only good one. But, you know, they all follow this same kind of thing, this formula. And there's usually some woman who's like, there's a problem. And then he has to go back. But he could have, you know, if he had done Stars Born like they wanted him to do, wouldn't that have been something? Imagine what that would have been. That would have been interesting. Yeah.
0: Do you guys have tickets yet to see this? Or I mean, Bruce, are, are you going to get like a pre? Is there any sort of a preview that you're going to get at all?
1: We do not know. Do, okay. not, know.
0: Is, do it, not know. Is it out there? You're just waiting for the, <laughs> the pray.
1: pray. Eat,
0: pray, love. That, that's kind of the Elva story emphasis on the eat. I will say, I mean, the guy,
1: the guy had, you know, the, the fried bologna, you that know, sandwich sounds kind of good where you have, all for it. Yeah. It on It Peanut butter and, and then you have bananas in there too. Yep. Yep. And deep fry it.
2: Hollowed out loaf of bread. You got the peanut butter, you got the bacon and you got the, the bananas. I kind
1: of think it sounds good.
2: It's not sustainable.
1: No, but you know how you've had one of those days this is one of those days, kind of meals. I think they serve it at the Heartbreak Hotel or whatever that's called that uh, is in Graceland, isn't it? I would imagine so. I mean, they serve it at you know Greasy Spoons,
0: you know that I've been in. Oh yeah, all my life. I, 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 I haven't I, haven't committed to it. But I mean, I, I like I like a nice peanut butter and banana sandwich. I, I just have never, I've, I've never uh, you know gone the full
2: the full meat layer. Repeatedly on here, I've talked about how if I was doing musical biopics, I would just focus on even as much of a day in a person's life to tell more about their life. I would love to see an Elvis movie that's just about the night that uh, him and some buddies flew from Graceland to Colorado to just eat some of those sandwiches and then fly back. That's the, that's the Elvis movie I want. I don't want any other, I don't want his upbringing. I don't want any of the, you know, comeback tour. I just want that moment. You could put that on as like a one act
0: like black box theater production. You know, just inside of a plane, you know, this tricked out, you know, DC, whatever, you know, that, that he would have owned.
1: Lisa Marie, you've not (laughs) been on the Lisa Marie, believe it or not, have not been on the Lisa Marie. You must go. It's got gold sinks. It's really good. I've never been. Get to, get to Graceland. It's, you know what? It's the biggest treat. You go there. And first of all, they warn you, they say, be respectful when you're going through, please keep your comments to yourself. Do it. But it's like, oh my God you got to see this. You got to see this. The jungle room. Oh my God, you got to see this. And then you see those three TV sets that he had that was kind of like futuristic where he was watching TV all at once. You see the one that was shot out. I mean, it's like, this is the best. It doesn't get any better than this. And then you get out in the backyard and there's like some studio or where he was like the exercise studio or whatever, the gym, which, you know, wasn't used. And you say, Oh, man, this is kind of contemporary. Like, there's some money here. Like, they did do something good. But the old house, oh, perfect. I loved it. So if you get to Memphis, do not miss Graceland. But keep your comments to yourself. I think that sounds good. I got to get there. What else we got
0: on uh, Lightyear? What did you think of Lightyear?
1: Hmm. Mm. <laughs> I can see where the kids were running up and down the aisles. <laughs> The thing I would just say about Lightyear is it's probably made for men who were children in 1995. It's a very specific. Uh,
2: because audience. they would have so,
1: related, well, that's kind of a Toy Story when it happened. And yeah. they would have related to this and thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to see Lightyear? But I don't think anybody else really cares.
2: Well, and I mean, it, it opening weekend, it didn't finish number one, and it only finished like $7 million ahead of Top Gun, which has been out for more than a month now. So that's not a good sign for a Disney movie. This should have been a
1: Disney Plus thing. I, I mean,
2: yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Like I said, I,
1: I'll,
0: I'll not, really see it
1: eventually, yeah. It's not my divorced dad kind of movie. No? Nope. I think the Minions one will be.
2: There oh, go. yeah. There, yep. Chris, there is one other uh, movie uh, that's going to be screening this week that's definitely worth talking about. Yeah, uh, where would you put it on the the
0: divorced dad spectrum? It's a sell, it's not a buy, right? Is that the no, no, no? I
2: can't <laughs> unless it's like a divorced dad taking their kid to go see uh, the Black Phone. It's just like a warning, like, hey, don't don't talk to strangers. <laughs> like, see everything that's happening in this movie could have been avoided if you just didn't talk to strangers. Now you'll never do that. So tell us about the Black Phone, the other. The other feature out there. Well, I don't. I don't know how many like holdovers there are still left from like COVID stuff getting pushed back. Um, this this is one of them in some ways because this was even originally just for this year supposed to come out back in April or maybe March or April. they got pushed back because of uh, you know COVID stuff and you know pop ups with outbreaks and whatnot. But uh, now it's uh, finally coming out and it's by uh, Scott Derrickson who did the first Doctor Strange and also did. Uh, was it sinister? I think was the, uh, the horror movie that he did. Um, I am very excited for this one in large part because I think it's great to see Ethan Hawke playing a bad guy in a movie. I don't really remember a lot of examples of him playing anything even close to a villain. Usually he's the, uh, you know, lovable intellectual main character of uh, the stuff that he's in. But, uh, and this one, he's, uh, like a guy who basically abducts kids. i in like the seventies is what it seems like from the the timeline in the movie, Um, who like disguises himself as a magician, basically like a crappy rent-a-magician and he abducts these kids uh, and tortures them and kills them. And the premise of the movie basically, and it's based off of a a short story is that this one particular uh, teenager, he gets picked up uh, and taken to the basement of uh, the killer's house. And he discovers this kid that he's able to communicate with the previous victims um, of uh, Ethan Hawke's serial killer. And these like previous victims are kind of able to help him get out of the situation he's in. So that's some of the tension of the movie. Um, I've seen the trailers probably like a hundred times at this point for how often I go to AMC. And it still has me like totally excited to, to go and see this one. So that seems notable in that respect that I haven't gotten tired of seeing it even in a bite-sized form. How does the phone figure in? Is that, is that a key
1: thing? You have to answer a black phone?
2: The kid, the way he's hearing from these uh, previous victims is like uh, they're calling him on this disconnected phone in the basement that he's locked up in. This phone like, is not hooked up to anything, but he's receiving calls from like, all the, the previous victims of this killer.
1: Well, there's your answer. Just don't answer the phone. Don't
2: talk <laughs> on a phone. The kid's not getting out if he
0: doesn't answer the phone. He's got he's to gotta pick up the phone, you know, to get there. I'm expecting some kind of a twist here for, for a yeah. handful of reasons. First of all, with the trailer, they give you a, a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also that there aren't that many movies that I, like horror, like intense horror movies, where the identity of the bad guy is top of the poster, you know, like even, even something like sounds of the lambs, like Anthony Hopkins was just a a side character. And then he wasn't Buffalo Bill, who was the real bad guy. And I'm expecting some kind of a, of a rug pull at some points with this. So, you know, we, we'll see. Speaking of AMC, I got my, I got my tickets uh, for Thursday, going to do a uh, Elvis and black phone double feature. Because, you know, what goes better than uh, you got your peanut butter banana on my fried bologna. You got your fried bologna on my peanut butter and banana. Anyway, that's... <laughs> Although, interesting. So the... I'm trying to think of like what you could do now to kind of make the... Like with the the Minions movie, The Rise of Gru, AMC. I don't know if it's like this in your neck of the woods, but they have banana flavored icy.
2: Yep, that, yep, that's a thing. Yep. Yeah. Which
0: basically tastes like a, like Laffy Taffy, the, the iced drink, Laffy Taffy banana. And so that's, I don't know. Um, but like, would it be, you get the hot dog, you get that and then bag of Nutter Butters, like what's the, uh, <laughs> and then just have yourself a, a, a nightmare afternoon. <laughs>
2: I'm uh, I'm Doesn't not that aware kind of like
0: any-
1: a, to me, that's a formula for vomiting. <laughs> What were you going to say, Jared? Sorry.
2: I, I, I was going to say, I, I'm not aware of any uh, movie theater selling nutter butter. So those are going to have to smuggle in, I think. Fair enough. Yeah, we'll get to that because
0: we're going to we'll talk about that during the Best Seat in the House segment, uh, which uh, you get by subscribing to the show on your podcast player of choice. So, yeah, Black Phone. Um, and then I guess speaking of, of Scott Derrickson, he did not direct the the most recent Doctor Strange. Sam Raimi directed that one, but that is hitting Disney Plus super early because I feel like it's still in theaters some places. And you know, for it to be coming on Disney Plus is intriguing. And that'll be out the twenty second, so that'll actually be on on streaming or on. It'll be on Disney Plus when this episode comes out on on Wednesday, and people are. Predicting maybe, that the reason that it's coming out is because it's going to connect to uh, some of the events that are going on on Disney's Miss Marvel show. So use that as a, a barometer, I guess, which I Miss mean, Marvel has been fantastic. I, I've really enjoyed that as a interesting, you know, uh, all ages intro to the the Marvel TV shows, um, and the idea of it connecting to the new Doctor. Strange. It's going to be interesting because that's a, that's a, it's not a hard, I mean, like it's, it's not an R, but it's like, it's a hard PG, I would say. So, you know, I mean, there, there's there's some scary stuff in there by I think Disney standards or by, you know, kid-friendly standards. It's a Sam Raimi movie after all. So it'd be interesting to see if, if there is any actual intersection between those.
1: What else is coming out streaming? Oh, streaming. Well, we've got loot coming this week on Apple TV plus and um a mm, lot of big talent in there. Maya Rudolph stars as a billionaire whose husband is, her tech husband dumps her. And then she's left with a lot of money and she's kind of clueless as to how to spend it. It's There's a lot of wasted talent. Joel Kim Booster, who was just did Fire Island, Adam Scott's in it. A lot of people that you think, oh, this has gotta be good. And I think it kind of just sits there like a bag of money.
0: You know, like a bag of money. <laughs>
1: Yeah, just kind of sits sit there. One of those Scrooge McDuck sacks. Just so like that, with the dollar sign on it. Yeah. Oh, of course. I saw The Bear, which is a um, it's a new series. that's coming up on um, Hulu, our new favorite, Hulu. And it stars Jeremy Allen White from Shameless. He plays a kid who comes back to run his brother's sandwich shop after a brother dies and how he's trying to elevate it. But it shows you that kind of inner... Workings of what a kitchen's like. And I know we've seen this a lot of times. I think Bradley Cooper did a thing about one of those, I think a series at one point, but it is kind of interesting because it seems very claustrophobic and you can kind of sense what his world is like. I think it could bear watching. You snuck that one in. You think it could bear watching? There, there you go. There you go. And then Beavis and Butthead are coming back. Yeah, Beavis and Butthead do the universe. So Beavis and Butthead time traveling. That could be interesting or not. I'm, um, yeah. So there's there's stuff out there.
2: So, uh, Jared, was Beavis and Butthead a part of you growing up? I know it started in '93, and I was only three then. And when did it wrap originally? Like '97 or something like that. I think was when it got done with. So it was a little bit too early for me in terms of like the stuff from like the nineties that I ended up gravitating toward with, uh, you know, animated stuff was the Simpsons at the top of the list by far. And then everything else was like a distant second or not even on the, on the radar for me. So, but I would say, you know, since then, like, I, I do like all the the movies and stuff that Mike Judge has uh, done. I mean, I still will always watch office space if I'm scrolling through channels and it's on, I think idiocracy is really, really funny I don't remember much from Extract, but I know I enjoyed it uh, when I saw it. So, yeah. I and mean, he's done a bunch of um, HBO projects. Silicon Valley was his
0: thing. King of the Hill. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, King of the Hill. Bruce, I mean, what was Beavis
1: and Butthead for you? Was it just kind of a. I think it was a gateway drug to getting into Mike Judge. You got a chance to see what he was like. I never liked him. I never liked Beavis and Butthead. I realized it. And it, you just, it, you know what they were playing, you know what they were doing but the idea that he got king of the hill after that was really i think remarkable because i think that shows more what he's able to do but he's a cool guy really really fun guy to be around and um a great interview and he's um very accommodating probably richer than god right now and doesn't need to do anything
0: yeah new beavis and butthead movie i mean it was announced like what like three weeks ago i feel like and then they just dropped the trailer and then it's going to be on Paramount Plus this weekend. God bless them. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, that kind of just absolutely juvenile humor. I mean, I can, I totally appreciate, you know, Akira Kurosawa films and, uh, and, and you know, and then I can.
1: And Beavis and Butthead.
0: Yeah, exactly. Beavis and Butthead laughing at the, the number 69 or, you know, <laughs> the shape of missile silos or something. You know, it's a, I, yeah, I'm all for it.
2: It is weird to think that in 2022, we're getting a new movie uh, with uh, two main characters that originally got popular, you know, riffing uh, around like music videos on MTV, which is a thing that doesn't exist anymore, basically. It's weird that that's uh, still around in, in 2022 in some form. Well, and Bill and Ted came back, you know, very similar. Wayne and Garth, you see them show up. That that one's more sad though. Those those uh, what is it like Uber Eats or whatever it is? Those are those are sad commercials. The last thing, do we care about
0: Westworld? No,
1: no, it's dead. Yeah, no, no. All the batteries, it's
0: over. Maybe it's one of those things that is, is going to come back around. But I just kind of meandered away from it at some point, a little ways into the second season, and just never came back. Maybe this is the season that is going to, to bring people back into the fold, but I, yeah, I don't have any patience for it. We wish them well. Yeah, we wish them well. I think, I mean, that's that's all we got. We don't, we don't have an interview. Well, we'll, um, we'll have in the links, in the show notes, we'll have links to all the movies and stuff that we talk about, but we'll also have links to the, the podcast episode that I mentioned where I talked with the, uh, the reporter who, who got the call about Elvis breaking up a fight. Uh, in Madison, Wisconsin in the late 70s and we'll have links to uh, the Bruce Miller article from was it 2014 I think it was part of that part of the Iowa like 150 or something
1: 1902
0: blow the dust off that yellowing newsprint
1: right <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think i have it here let there me we see find this here's <laughs> our story now let me tell you
1: that kind of stuff
0: exactly yeah, so definitely find that and yeah, subscribe on podcast players and whatnot wherever you get your podcasts so you can get the the bonus uh, stuff that we're going to be sending out. The best seat in the house is what we're calling it for now. Uh, this time we're going to be talking about our uh, our favorite concession snacks for for theaters and other such events, and uh, and also you know throwing out just some unrelated picks. Jared, what have you got to to riff us out of here, man? Like.
2: Any he... If there's a grabber on the prowl in whatever city you're, you're living in and it's the 70s and this grabber is just scooping up kids left and right in their van, what you need to do is if you're going to go to the movies and screen something good, you need to go with a group of friends because there's strength in numbers that way. Or, you know, you stay at home. Kid Snatchers are lazy. They don't want to get out of their van and do a lot of work. So if you stay at home, and just watch a movie from the comfort of your own home. You know, that works too. Uh, they didn't have uh, streaming back then, so you couldn't stream something good uh, in the 70s. But you can stream something good now. So there you go. <laughs> See something good, stream something good. Watch out for grabbers. Watch out for grab. I think that,
0: that that's the, the biggest takeaway. Uh, <laughs> pop culture, schmrop culture. Stay away from grabbers. <laughs> yes. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more good stuff. And uh, yeah, see something good.
1: all the batteries, it's over.